Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 8.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So we have been on a, what seems like a very long journey, but in the grand scheme of things, it's probably not that long, as we have been preparing ourselves and dealing with some of the strife and the conflict that's going on in our culture right now around election season. And today is the perfect day for us to shift our focus slightly. We've been talking about how we make decisions, how God has guided us in the midst of division, and today we get to focus on unity. And there is nothing that is more emphatic about unity than the sacrament of communion. But before we get there, I want us to take a look at what our scripture says. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. Here are these words of the Apostle Paul. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one could say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanias. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. I just love Paul. I love how he says something, and then he's kind of like, well, except maybe these people. And so what we end up seeing is that Paul was a very real person an incredible paragon of faith, one of the most profoundly transformative leaders that Christianity has ever known, and yet he made mistakes. And yet he sometimes wasn't so sure, right? There were things that were confusing and things that he thought, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have done that. So what is going on in Corinth that elicits this letter? Go figure that the Christians in Corinth aren't getting along. I mean, it's, I know it's a radical thought for us to sit here and go, there are churches where people don't get along. There are places where people are not brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, they have pettiness and division. There are churches where people are openly quarreling and picking sides? Try asking a church what color they should paint the sanctuary and see what happens. Get back. Because the truth is we are a passionate people, and if we weren't, then I don't think we'd be Christians. 
There are plenty of other faiths that are more subdued. But Christianity is in itself started with the fire and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, yes, we are passionate people. We are passionate about our faith. We are passionate about our God. We are passionate about the kind of music we like and the way we want to pray. We are passionate about whether we sit in pews or liturgical chairs. We have a vision and we are fiery about it. And that is a wonderful thing until it's not. It's a wonderful thing until somebody goes, you know, I could do without these pews. Get behind me, Satan. I've seen that argument go down. But the truth is that there is something deeper and more profound about us than worship wars, than musical style. There is something that unites us for which no division should separate us. And Paul is pointing that out. I love the fact that if we read some of the nuance in this scripture, we find out that things got so bad that one of the leaders of the church, Chloe, actually had to send some of her servants to tell Paul, you better fix this. Right? It's like in the Methodist church nowadays when something starts to go bad and somebody calls the bishop. Bishop, help us. And so here it is that Chloe's people have reached Paul. They've told him what's going on. And Paul is like, whoa, better write a letter. And so he did. Because the quarrels among them have threatened to split the church. And what are they fighting about? Who they belong to. They're fighting about their allegiance. Because Christians don't ever do that. Nobody ever asks us whether we're Republican or Democrat, whether we're voting for Trump or Clinton. Nobody ever asks us how we feel on certain issues where it's a dichotomy, you're either one or the other. Because in the church, are things really black and white? And yet here we are, and people were staking their claim. I am of Paul. Paul, the apostle of the risen Christ, taught me how to be a Christian. And someone else on the other side says, oh, no, 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 Apollos. Apollos gave me my gospel. That's how I know what's right. And some are saying Cephas. They're talking about Peter. And some are trying to say the right thing. I just belong to Jesus. And yet, they are divided. And so it is that Paul is saying to them, you don't belong to me. You don't belong to anybody else but our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the end. That's who we belong to. And until we become a people, even today, that wake up in the morning and first and foremost identify ourselves because of the cross, we are opening ourselves up to this kind of division. When I wake up in the morning, I am nothing more than a Christian. Because it is only by God's grace that I open my eyes and that I can get up and put my feet over the side of the bed and stand up and start a day. Now, there are lots of other categories and notions that people put upon me. Yes, I am an American citizen. Yes, I was born here. Yes, I'm a female. It's pretty obvious I'm Caucasian. I'm clergy versus laity. There are many categories that are thrown on me but all of them are washed away by Jesus Christ. And at the end of time as we know it, 
when Christ returns, no other label, no other category, no distinction, neither anthropomorphical, sociological, or psychological, will stand. In the end, when Christ returns, there is but one question and one identity. Are you mine, he says. And my answer with all that I am, all that I have ever been, and all that I hope to be is, yes, I am yours. And while God knows me as Sarah, while God knows me on intimate terms, I wish to be known by the name of Jesus Christ. That will keep us from falling apart. That will keep us from unraveling when the world is setting in on us. When forces start asking us to choose sides and to divide and separate, the fact that we are Christians will bring us back together as one. And so it is that we can stand here. And Paul recognizes that he has unwittingly contributed to the division. He acknowledges this, that one of the reasons why people are picking sides is because there are nuances to how they understand who they are as a Christian. We understand this. That's why the latest estimate, and I say latest because it was 2014, the latest estimate is that there are over 64,000 denominations in Christianity. 64,000, and I think it's low. Because you have churches that are individual congregations in their own denomination. They are not linked to anyone else. Congregationalists to the most nth degree. And so it is that there are Christians all over that don't agree. Forget in the same congregation. We don't agree. Some of us feel compelled by different theologies that are all part of the same God. We understand how we organize ourselves, our polity. We understand our doctrine in slight differences that change how we understand who we are. And so it is that you meet people and they'll tell you what denomination they are, right? Well, I attend a Methodist church, but I grew up Catholic. And my wife, she's Baptist. Try reconciling that one. And the truth is that we can, because whether you're Catholic or Baptist or Methodist or Lutheran or Presbyterian or Episcopalian or Anglican or any other Christian denomination, at the end of the day, we are all Christian all Christian. And whether you will take from this table or whether you will accept this baptism doesn't matter if our hearts are all with Christ. That is the truth by which we should be clinging. And yet more often than not, churches and Christians all over the world are divided by this. This holy and sacred table before which I stand and over which I shall preside. This can destroy congregations. This which was meant to heal and make us whole. Because we start picking sides. And Paul realized that they were showing their allegiance based upon who brought them to Christ. Right? And Paul had baptized, he thought just two, and then later on he thought well, maybe there were a little more. And then he reached this point where he said, no, I'm not baptizing anymore because you're using it in an inappropriate way. You're using it as if it's your sports team. I'm with Paul. 
he's got this great church going on over here. And somebody else says, yep, but I'm with Apollos and you ought to see what he's doing in Ephesus. Instead of going, look what Jesus Christ is doing all over the Roman Empire. Instead of us saying, I don't care how you got here today, but thank God that you're here. And I've come from this journey and you've come from that one and we're still at the same cross. We have allowed ourselves to become a people of separation and distinction when God has created us to be one in one Lord, one truth, one gospel of salvation for all. So how can we undo that? How can we Pull the stitching out of a tapestry that God has woven with God's own presence, life, ministry, death, suffering, resurrection. How can we be the ones to unravel this? I love that Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel. That above all, my purpose is to tell you of the truth, hope, and love we have in Jesus Christ. And it's not that he has eloquent wisdom because you'll notice that Paul is quite honest about that. He's not the most eloquent speaker. He isn't perfect. In fact, we know that at one point he was speaking for so long and so monotonously that somebody fell asleep and fell out a window. Paul's not the guy you wanted to call to get people excited about a sermon. Instead, he knew what it meant to be saved, and he was passionate, and he was prophetic, and that was impactful. And he knew that. So that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. I am imperfect. I am not able to do all things, and that is good and by God, so that Christ, in all power and wisdom and might, will take my weakness and perfect it with God's presence. That all of us, when we come before the cross, recognize that we are insufficient and frail and fragile. We are sinners. We have done things that we cannot even utter. But it doesn't matter because Christ's love for us will eclipse all of that. And God's love is not predicated on your denomination. It is not predicated on your socioeconomic class, your gender, your age. It is for you because you are human. And we need it. I wonder about the ache that was in Paul. I wonder about the kind of person who was in a position over other Christians, realizing that every word, every encounter could either bless or burden. Who understood that even as he tried to do good, it got perverted by good, meaning, intentioned Christians. He thought he was helping. They wanted to be baptized. And all of a sudden it became a rally cry that started to draw attention away from Jesus Christ. At some point, we have to humble ourselves and say, this isn't about me anymore. You know, I've had conversations with my parents through my course of my ministry 
because I was raised in a traditional church. I was an acolyte in high school, and I knew how to put on a robe. And I knew what that worship should look like. I knew that it should have solemnity. I knew that it meant that when I lit the candles, I bowed my head in reverence when I got to the middle of the altar. I understood the classic hymns, you know, things written, written before 1900. I understood what it meant to be a part of a liturgy that was older than the country in which I was born. And that was who I was. That was what made me feel good. That was who I thought God thought all of us should be. And then I had to go serve a church with contemporary worship. What are you all doing? What is this newness you've got going on? How can you sing things like this? Why are we interested in getting rid of the vestiges of the ancient church? And by ancient, again, I mean something that came into existence after this country in which I was born. Why is it that there are people who profess the same love for Jesus Christ that can't seem to get on board with the way we should be worshiping? And over time, it made me realize that worship wasn't about me. It's not about what I want. Because trust me, Linda and I had this conversation this morning. If it was up to me, it would look completely different. And you know what? It would look like the Sarah show. And this isn't about me. It would look so different that nobody would feel comfortable here except me. And that's not what this is about. It isn't about me. It's not even about us. It's about God. And our hope, our prayer, our purpose is that through the way in which we come and worship, no matter the mode, no matter the conduit, that when we come here and worship, that someone might come and visit and sit in our midst and go, what is this? I've never felt like this before. I have never seen people so selflessly offer themselves to something unseen. And with great and profound faith, they come forward and they kneel and they pray and they are moved. And I want to be a part of that. And so one time my mother told me, I can't believe you're going to do this whole worship service without a robe. Yes, mother, I'm going to do a worship service without a robe. You know, that robe's a, a powerful symbol. Yes, mother, I know that. But it's also a powerful barrier to some. And she said, well, if that were my church, I wouldn't go to that worship service. And I said, that's okay. We have more than one. And she said, well, you know, you know people, people might not be feeling this. And I said, Mom, I've reached the point in my life where I'm no longer concerned about people like you. And she didn't like that either. <laughs> but I had to tell her, Mom, I know you. And you have Jesus in your heart in your lungs, in your mind, in your ears, sometimes in your mouth. And I know, I know that if you feel alienated by this worship style, you will go find yourself another church. You will leave and you will find some place where they're wearing that Geneva gown with pride. And there they sing the old hymns and you can hear the old rugged cross and there's an organ blasting. 
I know that you will go and find that church. I'm concerned about the people that will come in and never come back. I'm concerned about the people that are too afraid to step foot in here. I'm afraid and frightened to the nth degree for the people who will let something like worship be a barrier to their relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where I'm concerned. It's not about me. It wasn't about my mom. It's about those people that haven't yet realized that this too is their table. And that too is their cross. And so when Paul's words reverberate almost 2,000 years later in churches, we're being asked, to whom do you belong? And our answer should be unequivocally Jesus Christ. And Jesus didn't come wearing a Geneva gown. Jesus came as he was to go to people where they are. And I believe that we who give ourselves to Jesus Christ are called to nothing less. And so we come here to be reminded that it is not about us. It is about our Lord. And when anyone tries to distract us by making us pick sides, when someone wants us to set ourselves up in opposition to another, may God speak through us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are all Christians. Let us come together. And the day is rapidly drawing closer and closer, brothers and sisters in Christ when the world needs to not only hear us say that, but see us live it. May that be our legacy this electoral season. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.